0: Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 18. Let's read our text and then we'll pray together. As to all of my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, and they will inform you about the whole situation. And Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings. Also Barnabas, the cousin of Mark, about whom you received instructions. And if he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called justice. These are only a few of the workers from the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. They have proved to be an encouragement to me. And Papyrus, who is one of your number, a bondslave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in prayer, and that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God, for I testify for him. That he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. In verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha in the church in her house. And when this letter is read among you, have it also in the coming to Laodicea. Say to a Chippus, Take heed the ministry which you've received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment and grace be with you. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity that we can study your word openly, that we can encourage one another in the word, that we can learn from one another and Lord, we get a glimpse of the, the body of Christ, how it works together. Lord, that it doesn't focus on any man other than the, the Son of Man, you, Jesus Christ. But it's brothers and sisters working together all for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Paul was the apostle, called as apostle to the Gentiles. Remember, he went to the Jews first and the Gentiles. But his heart was really to see people come in to the kingdom of God. And Paul could never do it on his own power. Certainly, he needed the spirit of God, as we talked about the last week. But he needed brothers and sisters around him. The body of Christ functions together there are those that are praying and those evangelizing and those are discipling and those are church builders those are just the gift of helps and those of encouragement it's made up of people diverse diverse in culture and personalities but one goal one desire to glorify Jesus Christ well today we're going to talk about friends because that's what you are. You're, you're friends. And there's no greater thing that you can say to me than call me a friend. Call me a, a brother in the Lord. I'm pastor is what I do, it's really my job description. But to be seen as a brother, as a friend, as co equal, I'm not better, I'm not less but someone that you stand side by side with, someone that sometimes you may be holding my arms up and sometimes I may be holding your arms up. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, a brother is born in adversity. See, friends encourage and stand by each other in the most difficult times. As not In those difficult times, you know who those true friends are. Because those who aren't friends, they flee. They're not there anymore. They're more worried about their own comfort or what people will think. Notice with me again Proverbs 27, verse 6, and then we'll go on to verse 10. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. In verse 10 it says, Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend. Do not go to your brother's house in a day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. The man who has friends is truly rich indeed. If you have one close friend in the world, you are rich. Jesus calls us friends and you're my friends my brothers my sisters as paul closes the book of colossians he encloses you know in this this letter and he names a few of those who helped him while he was imprisoned in rome remember it was a prison epistle. he gives recognition to some the unsung heroes you might say of the, the new testament which is a, a great encouragement when you stop and think about it, that we can find encouragement in here and, and say, I want to be like that, and, or I'm thankful I have people in my life like that. See, many of these stood faithfully alongside Paul through the good and the bad and difficult times, and they stood for the glory of God. See, each and every one was essential in fulfilling the ministry that God has called. See, God is the one that brings people together. He's the one that brought you here today. We stand as a a group, a fellowship, assembly. God's knitting us and bonding us together and, and making this core that will impact those around us. Each are called, anointed for the ministry that they're, they're called to. He knew well that, that he could not have done it on his own. And no one can. See, godly leaders have always depended upon others to support them in, in the work. And that's so important. And, and I love it when a, a baby is dedicated to the Lord. See, we, we, we have the parents come up and the grandparents, and they want to dedicate this child to God. They say, God, we want to give back to you what you have given to me. And we, the the assembly, the body, we stand with them. We come alongside them. We hold their arms up. When we're in the community, we come alongside their kids and help support and point them always to Jesus in a loving way. And we stand with them in the good times, and we stand with them in the bad times. But here Paul's talking about the leadership and the ministry that he's called to. And God's leaders, as I mentioned, always have depended on others. Let me read from Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. Notice what it says. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephram. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. And tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Ur went up the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held held his hand up, Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, when he was tired, when he's weak, let's say, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And then they took a stone and put them under him. And he sat upon it, and Aaron and Ur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. And thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword see Moses couldn't have done it on his own he needed Aaron and Ur and God had brought them alongside and and God has brought you alongside maybe here this church or someone else in your life to stand with them Amalek here is a picture of Satan Satan will war with you again with help from Aaron and Ur Moses was able to lead Israel to a a great victory With their support, Moses was enabled by God to accomplish things that he could never accomplish on his own, if you think about it. Leaders are always made more effective by those who are around, those that pray, those that help, those that hold up the arms. There's a passage in Ecclesiastes, that's often used for marriage, but I want to share with you because I think it's fitting with you in the text, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either one of them falls, the one will lift up the companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Well, let me stop there. See the importance of standing together, that support. I need that support. You need that support. And God has made it that way. In the Garden of Eden, God said it's not good for man to be alone. Not just individually in, in, in that situation, but here in the church. See, Paul never ministered alone. Although he is a, a prisoner, as he writes from Colossae, he's still not alone. Let me read Deuteronomy 31, six. It says, Be strong and courageous and, and do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not let you fail. He will not forsake you. I want to encourage you today that God is with you individually today. He will not let you fail. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you. And we should find encouragement in our hearts well again notice in verse 7 we we see a man Tychicus or Tychicus some say again Tychicus a man with a, a servant's heart is really who he is it says there in verse 7 as as to all my affairs Tychicus our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord will bring you information For I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. That name Tychicus means fortunate. Certainly he was fortunate. Can you imagine ministering to and with the Apostle Paul? The things that you would have learned from him, watching him, mentoring by him. And we need to have people in our lives like Paul and, and a, a Tim, be a Timothy and Paul. And here it's Tychicus. He, he ministered with him. And ministered with him not just for a moment or two but for years. In fact he's mentioned five times in the New Testament. Although the references are brief. It really does give us a rich profile of who this man was. First of all he was a native uh, of the Roman province of Asia. Tychicus uh, accompanied Paul in, in that region. In the end, Apostle's third missionary journey. He also was given the responsibility in delivering three of Paul's prison epistles. That is, the Ephesians, the Colossians, and Philemon. He was trustworthy. He was faithful. Tychicus was willing to travel with Paul to Jerusalem. and It shows really the servant's heart because traveling in, in those days was difficult. Even dangerous at times, and Paul headed to Jerusalem. There was already many prophecies what would happen to him. But Tychicus plodded alongside Paul. He had begun as a, a messenger. He started with the little things and faithful to those little things, and and God had given him bigger things to do through Paul. Now he's a candidate to fill. Again in for the man Titus, the great man of Titus. Again, very end of Paul's life during the second Roman imprisonment, Tychicus is still with him. Facing that imminent danger, but he's still with him. Paul desired to see Timothy at the last moment. Because Timothy could not leave the congregation of Ephesus without a replacement, Paul sent Tychicus. He was the man that filled in the pulpit. He was the man that if you need me here, I'm here. You need me here, I'm there. I'm here for the Lord. I'm here for you. Not only was Tychicus to deliver the letter of Colossians, he would also bring the Colossian information about Paul's affairs and update him on the circumstances, encouraging and comforting him and all these things speak of this man's highly character. Now we see next, we see a man called Onesimus. It's in verse nine, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful brother, a beloved brother whom is one of your number. And they will inform you about the whole situation here. Now, Onesimus was a man. He was a man with a sinful past, if you remember. Well, Onesimus means profitable or useful. There was a time in his life he wasn't profitable, and he certainly wasn't useful useful for the kingdom of God. He was a man with a sinful past. He was a thief. He was a runaway slave who needed to be returned to his master and we see this is the setting in the book of Philemon. See, Philemon was one of the leaders of the Colossian church, and it's likely that the the church even met in his home. And Onesimus had had been a slave for Philemon in the household until he ran away and made his way of Rome. And and Philemon could have put him to death as a runaway slave. But when he runs again to, to Rome he runs into the apostle Paul who led him to Christ. Now he's returning to Colossae, to his master, once a slave but now a brother even more dear. Paul wrote to Philemon to encourage Philemon to forgive Onesimus as a runaway slave and even defrauding him to welcome him back as a, a brother in Christ. And I love that when you come to the Lord You're a new creature in Christ. There's a changed life, but there's also a changed status. No longer a slave, but a brother indeed. Where he was useless, now he's going to be profitable, and we'll see profitable to Paul. Paul describes him as our faithful and beloved brother. When a person comes to Christ, the past no longer is an issue. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17 on the screen. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature and old things pass away. Behold, all things have come. See, Onesimus was a a testimony, really, to the power of God, how he transforms lives. See, that's what we're we're focusing on. These people that God uses, they're they're diverse and different backgrounds, and, and some, again, their past is shady. But God, when He brings them in the kingdom, they are new creatures in Christ. Look in verse 10 with me. We see Aristarchus, a man who had a, a sympathetic heart. Let me show you. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. See, Aristarchus was a, a Jewish Christian. It's in chapter 4, verse 11. But though, like many Jews of that diaspora, he had a Greek name. He was a native of Thessalonica. Aristicus first appeared during Paul's uh, third year of ministry in Ephesus. He was seized uh, by a rioting mob and who was recognized as Paul's companion. He accompanied Paul in his trip to Jerusalem. During a, a difficult time and Paul writes to the Colossians and Aristarchus is still beside the apostle, faithful. That's what it call him, a, a fellow prisoner. We don't know if he chose to, to be with him there or, or he was so close in serving that they put him into prison with him. There are different opinions on what it is but it refers to him as such because he shared Paul's prison with existence maybe he just wanted to be there for Paul and saw what God was doing in his life found encouragement in what God was doing and through those hands well he chose to make Paul's lifestyle his own speaks of that sympathetic heart he gave up his own freedom really to minister to the Lord but to Paul's individual needs See, the Lord's work would not be done if it weren't for people like Aristarchus who humbly bear the hardships without any fame, any desire to have their name known. Again, we find in verse 10, we find a man named John Mark, a man who has a, really a surprising future. Again in verse 10 it says also Barnabas the cousin of Mark uh, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you welcome him. And John Mark had a, a very different path in his ministry than that of Tychicus or Aristarchus. It's back in Acts 12.12 12. notice what it says. And when he realized this he went to the house of Mary and the, the mother of John who was called Mark. Where many had gathered together were praying. See this is again the house of John Mark. We see there must be a church or a prayer meeting. We're not sure what's going on but right from young he has this experience being around the Lord. He became the companion of Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey but in Acts 13 he deserted he jumped ship when things got difficult or too tough he he left in fact in verse 13 of acts 13 and john left them and returned to jerusalem this is too much this is not what i imagined it's not what i thought mark simply deserted and it ended up causing friction between paul and barnabas in fact in Acts 15, verse 37 and 39. Notice again, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them onto the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. It brought his very life, brought a split. Barnabas, his his name means son of encouragement. He was an encourager, and he would would help John Mark grow, but Paul also knew that he was called to a different ministry. He was evangelist. He had to press on, and he didn't have time to hold hands. Fortunately, though, the story doesn't end there. By the time Paul writes the book of Colossians, Mark had become a changed man. He had grown in that love and grace of Jesus Christ. He had been restored to that place of usefulness and probably through the ministry of Peter himself who was no stranger to failure and and restored. And I love that because God takes those that are broken, those that have failed, and, and he moves them along. See, that calling is irrevocable. Men recognize this and and they pour into and they build up and they give opportunity and help people become everything they call to do and that's what happened in John Mark's life. He's named in Philemon verse 24 and when Paul names him among him he's a, a fellow worker. Paul recognizes the change. The man who Paul once rejected became the greatest of of helpers. In fact, let me read 2 Timothy 4.11. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in service. See, Paul recognized what God had done in that life. Now, we don't know if Paul was wrong or or right in what he was doing. We just know that God caused it to work for good for those who love the lord called him according to his purpose see paul told the colossians that mark came to them and they were to obey the instructions which may have come from either paul or peter or barnabas we don't know for sure but welcome him they were not to shun him because of his previous failure but welcome him listen to him you may have failed once before in the ministry or, or wanting to do something, but, but God wants to encourage you. Step forward. Put yourself under someone. Say, I failed, but, but I want to grow and I want to be used by the Lord. And the Lord will use you when you give your heart to him. It's in verse 11 we see another man, Jesus, justice. The man with a strong commitment, Again, in verse 11, also Jesus was called justice. And these are only a few of the workers from the kingdom of God who are the circumcision, meaning those were Jews. And they proved to, to be encouragement to him. And given that name of, of a Jew, Jesus, the, the Greek equivalent for that is the Hebrew word Joshua, which means Savior. You know, We are to point everyone to the Savior. Sometimes people may see us as the Savior when we bring the good news. But the bottom line is Jesus Christ is the Savior. Our life, our actions, our commitment should point people to Jesus Christ. Illuminate that truth in their life. Well, that certainly wasn't a difficult name to live up to. But his Latin name, surname was Justice, or Righteous indicating that he in some measure did he was a righteous man that is in the standing of the lord he trusted in the lord and Leaned not on his understanding he was empowered by god nothing more is known about this man jesus who is called justice apart from from this verse jesus justice mark aristicus were Paul's only fellow workers from the kingdom of God who were of the circumcision, that is, the Jews. There was a a lack of response from the the Jewish people. It must have grieved Paul's heart. Now, we know the ministry was always to the Jew first and, and then the Gentile. And in the early years of the ministry, the first 30 years of the ministry, was primarily, again, Jewish people. But Paul was called to the Gentiles. But he always ministered to the Jew first. The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem rejected his message. They plotted to kill him. They denounced him to the Roman authorities. And 2 Corinthians 11, 26 says this, I've been in frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers of robbers and dangers of my own countrymen and dangers from the Gentiles and dangers of the city and dangers of the wilderness and dangers of the sea and the dangers among false prophets. But Paul plotted on the dangers again from his own countrymen, the the brothers, the Jewish brothers. But he pressed on. He had men, godly men around him that encouraged him, men that stood with him. Only these three proved to be encouragement to him. It could also be translated the word, Comfort He found comfort in their friendship, in their hope, their purpose to glorify God. He was willing to, to take a stand alongside Paul for Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost. That's a big one. Are you willing to count the cost, no matter what the cost to stand for Jesus Christ? All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. That's not an easy thing to go through, all those dangers that Paul did, but if you choose to stand for Jesus and, and the world sees that you're standing for Jesus, they will go against you. These men were willing to stand with Paul. we well, next going to see the Gentile workers. It's in verses 12 through 14. Well, look with me. We see a man called Epaphras. A man really with a single passion, a papyrus, who is one of your number, a bondslave of Jesus Christ, sends you greetings. Always laboring earnestly for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Papyrus was the, the one most likely that founded uh, the church in Colossae and, and, and probably the current pastor even at that time. He had journeyed to, to Rome, bringing Paul the news of the dangers, the dangerous heresy that was threatening the church in the Lycus Valley. And like Tychicus, Paul himself and Papyrus designated as doulos, a, a bond slave of Jesus Christ by, by choice because he was one of the number he, he sends along his greetings he even though he was separated from them papyrus still ministered to those of the, the lycus valley because he labored in prayer fervently earnestly in his prayers struggled in prayer god mature them grow them protect them Help them to reach out to those around. And that idea of struggling is much like Jesus in in the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweat like blood, drops of blood, look like drops of blood from him. That agony is what he did for them. See, Epaphras was a living example. of Paul's command to the Colossians, devote yourself in prayer. How he spent that time Laboring. You know, the goal of a paper's prayers was really the Colossians stand perfect and fully assured in the in the will of God, perfect that word teleos, meaning complete, mature, fully developed. That's every pastor should want the body of Christ to stand firm, see them grow, see them blossom, see them be fruitful. The day should come when one pastor passes the baton onto another, one elder onto another elder, and and and, or maybe even to sending out a church, a, half a congregation going out and establishing a, a church in a community. People raised up teachers and worship people, children's ministry. But being faithful. Again, the word for fully assured could be translated persuaded or satisfied fully. And papyrus, like Paul wanted the Colossians to be mature and satisfied at all the will of God. Knowing that joy of being right in the middle of the will of God. Having observed a papyrus firsthand, Paul bore witness to his deep concern in the Colossians. He probably prayed with them and prayed for them. Especially for those in Laodicea and Heropolis mentioned in our text. Verse 14, there's another man. Notice Luke. A man with a, a specialized talent, he was Luke, verse 14 says he was a, a beloved physician, sends you his greetings. Luke was Paul's personal physician as, as well as his close friend and companion. He was a Gentile believer who traveled frequently with Paul on his missionary voyages It may, in fact, have been Paul's recurring illness in that first missionary journey that prompted him to take Luke along on the second. Like Paul, he was educated, he was cultured, and evidenced by his literary skills and the quality of the Greek in the Gospel, in the book of Acts. Luke is mentioned by name only two other times in the New Testament, three times his name appears. It does so in Paul's writing from prison, Philemon, verse 24, and also in 2 Timothy 4, 11. He recorded the facts. He helped. It wasn't important that his name was known. What was important is the name of Jesus Christ was known. After joining Paul on the second missionary journey, he was with him for most of the remainder of Paul's life until the end. He was truly a faithful brother to the end. There's another man mentioned briefly in verse 14. Notice the name Demas. Demas was a man with a sad future. See, Paul mentions Demas here. He was the one that fly in the ointment. See, in 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10, notice what it says. Make every effort to come to me soon for Demas having Love this present world, deserted me, and gone to Thessalonica. And Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. Again, Demas left Paul. He abandoned Paul. But in reality, in reality, he abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the pull of the world system eventually became irresistible to Demas. And he abandoned both Paul and the ministry. And Jesus had his Judas and Paul had his Demas, everyone in ministry has someone, seems to be close, but at some point flies the coop drawn away. Breaks our hearts. Look with me in verses 15 through 18. As we close, we see the readers. The closing words, uh, really this epistle contain a, a salutation, a counsel, a prayer request, and a blessing. Verse 15 says, greet the brethren in Laodicea, Nympha, and the church that is in her house. Since the name is is given, she must be, you know, an influential believer. What I like is that the church meets in her house. See, the church is the people, not the building. We sometimes get that confused. Jumping to verse 16, it says, When this letter is read among you, the Colossians, that is, have it also read to the church of Laodiceans and you, and for your part, read my letter, that is coming from Laodicea. They, they read the letters because they didn't have Bibles like we have today or be able to put the Scripture on the screen like we do or on our, our phones. So they read it aloud. Just as when I begin, I, I read the whole text in its context aloud, and then we look at it individually. Because there's something when you hear it and you read it, and I put it on the screen and it sinks in. We're fortunate today that we have those opportunities to read the word privately in our home. But they hung on every word. They made their notes, they copied these so they would have it for themselves. Well, the Epistle of Colossians also was sent to the church, to that church, that is the Laodicea. And they would exchange these, and they would circulate these letters from. From Paul, and they found encouragement and exhortation because the churches all had people in them, and people all have the same problems. Maybe you don't have the the struggle that I have, but someone else has that struggle, and, and we can identify with each other. So it was a part of public worship, just a simply reading of the Scripture. Even in the, in the, in the Jewish congregation, they would have the seat of the Moses, and, and they would read from the, the text and then discuss it just as we do. It appears that Archippus was responsible for the church. Look at verse 17 and, and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, and you may fulfill it. He was to be watchful over the ministry. And the command earlier was translated, beware and, and denote the scrutiny. what's well, in verse 18, Paul writes, he says, I write with this greeting with my own hand, remember my imprisonment, grace to you. See, as we came to this book of Colossians, it's a, it's a book that really focuses on really the Christ, that he is sufficient in every situation. and And it, it focuses on really, who he is in fact it started with that idea the preeminence of Christ he is to be before all things the universal government he's the visible image of God he's the agent in creation we saw the, the sustainer and the head of the church And when it came to reconciliation he pleased the father he reconciles us through his death the work of the cross. He lives in us as a a hope of glory and, and wisdom. When we think about wisdom and knowledge, he's the source of all the treasure and wisdom and knowledge. And worldly philosophy does not conform to him. He is the wisdom of God. In a personal observance, we are alive in him. And there's no need for legalism or ritualism because Christ is in us. And Christ is enough. He is our life. And because he's our life, we can avoid immorality and we can become a blessing to others. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, thank you for this book Lord, you have taught us so much. And I ask, Lord, that you would bring us back here again and again in our personal lives. Lord, that you would refresh us and wash us with the water of your word. When the enemy begins to dump on us or begin to cause us to doubt who Christ is, that you will bring back these scriptures to mind. Because, Lord, you are enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.